you turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, just a couple of verses today, important verses, verses 13 to 15, and freedom from the flesh. You know, one of the problems that we face by God's uh, marvelous plan for our lives is that his grace can be a temptation for us to lean on that grace in the wrong way. We can begin to become so dependent on God's graciousness that we forget that he is still holy, that he's righteous, that his standards have never changed. We are free from the penalty of the law by grace because of the faith that we have in Christ Jesus. But God didn't move the needle of his holiness in allowing us to walk by grace. God is still completely holy And he has standards that are extremely high. And so Paul now in a couple of verses speaks to us in this area that we are tempted to abuse the grace of God in. And that is using our freedom for things that are not pleasing to God. Walking in a way that is unpleasing to the Lord. And in fact returning even to some of the things that we may have been delivered from because we are God's children by grace and through faith. And so we'll pick up just a couple of verses this morning, verse 13 through 15, and for it begins this way, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. And now for those of you that are prone to go the opposite direction, for those of you that think that because we're saved by grace through faith, for those of you that might be listening online or Perhaps we'll hear this study later. Make no mistake, because we have been saved by grace, God still wants his kids to live holy lives. We we have been called to be very different than this world. Our lives should not look anything like the world. We should be so different, people should be able to spot us because of the way we live our lives. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. And we're going to see four chief characteristics in these verses. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The centrality of that truth is so mind-boggling when you replace yourself with your neighbor or your neighbor with yourself, when you look at your neighbor exactly as you would look at yourself, how much harm are you going to do to your neighbor if you view him as you view yourself? The answer is none. How many things are you going to do to encourage your neighbor to destroy his life? The answer is none. How much sinfulness are you going to engage in if it harms your neighbor? If harming your neighbor harms you, the answer is none. Do you understand the principle? It's so monumentally clear, and it is so simple, and yet we so miss it. This is it. The law is fulfilled in this one very simple statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. 
In our society in general, and I'm not speaking specifically about anyone or anything, but in a general sense, our world, especially our state, is perhaps the center of crying out for liberation of flesh. We have figured out more new ways to be displeasing to God than perhaps any other place on the planet. That is the truth. And I want to remind you, church, this morning that simply because something is legal does not make it okay with God. God's standard remains up here even if the standard of our judiciary is down here and our executive branch is here and our Congress is here, just because they lower the standard, it does not mean that God moved his needle. Amen? This is the problem we face because if we're saved by grace, one could simply sit there and say, well, you know, I'm going to heaven anyway, so what does it matter? Why do I need to worry about personal holiness? What's the deal? When we walk contrary to God's plan for our lives, we do not receive his best. We do not receive his blessing. We do not walk in his ways. We walk in our own flesh, and when we walk in our own flesh, we will receive the penalty of said same. There is a price to be paid for walking in the flesh, and it is extreme. Now, whether God extracts that price from us in this life or not, the fact of the matter is Flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit and you can't mix the two. But in the name of personal rights or personal authority or I control my body. I get to do whatever I want that pleases me. In the name of those things, we have an awful lot of Christians believing the same lies that the world believes. I can just do whatever I want. I would draw your attention to the Jewish people, to the Israelites of old, that thought the same thing under the reign of the judges. And every one of them sought to do that which was right in their own eyes, and it cost them dearly. They walked in rebellion and disobedience, and eventually God scattered them. He took away their blessings. God doesn't relinquish his holiness. And in our day of addiction to virtually anything and everything, the child of God, the church of God, has no business walking away from the holiness of God. Because in doing so, we walk towards the things that have always commanded the attention of men's hearts. Sin is attractive. Scripture goes so far as to say it's pleasurable for a season but the end of it is death. Its conclusion is it destroys you, and God knows these things. And so he's not moved the needle. You know, people want to debate with me all the time. Well, you know, I think we just need to change the way we view homosexuality. No, we don't. It doesn't mean that we become unloving towards someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction. It means that God didn't move the needle. God's not okay with it. So the child of God can't be okay with it. You can't just simply say, look, it's fine, do whatever you want. 
God's going to accept it. No, God's not going to accept it, ever. He's not. And because he doesn't, we can't. It doesn't mean that we hate anybody. It is the same reasoning behind why we would look somebody in the eye and say, look, you cannot murder that person. You must not divorce your wife for an ungodly reason, an unbiblical reason. It's the same reason we tell people you shouldn't walk in drunkenness. It is the same reason we say you don't steal your neighbor's stuff. The reasoning is the same. Sin is sin, and sin always destroys. God knows this. And so he has clearly defined sin for us. Not so that we can be mean-spirited or angry, but so that we can walk in righteousness. It's so critical in our day and time. I have people make all kinds of arguments about all kinds of sin issues. But sin itself still destroys. And so Paul's going to help us in the remainder of this book. Look, I can tell you that God hates it when we take innocent human life. Why? Because his word says so. Proverbs 6 is clear. Seven things the Lord hates, yea, they are an abomination unto him, and those that shed innocent blood is nearly at the top of the list. And there's no blood more innocent than someone who can't defend themselves. We need no, go no further than that. You don't need to try and justify why it is that's not a life. God said it's a life. He is the creator of all life. So you're going to argue with God? You're going to try and change God's mind on when life begins? Scripture is clear. I have knit you together in your mother's womb. As far as God's concerned, life begins at conception. That's the truth. Now you can come up with all kinds of other reasons why you don't think that applies to you, but the truth of the matter is God's not moving the needle. It remains way up here. Romans 1 says much the same thing. We try and say, well, we, we, we just know now differently than we used to know about these issues. And the church needs to change its position. We can't. Either God's word is true or it's not true. And if it's not true, we should all just simply go home. If this is a how-to live your best life now message, let's go home. I think the Dodgers start in a little bit so we can just all go watch the game. But his word is true. It is truth. He himself is truth. And he's instructed us from heaven on how we should live our lives. And whether you're talking about the Old Testament or the New, the Old Testament and the New agree in these areas of sin. We agree with God in these areas. Why should I care about sin becomes the question. When you choose to persist in sin, look, let me make it clear for you. Sin does and sin will master your life. That is the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
as Paul writes to the church, and he lists a whole series of sin. And he says, all things may be lawful. In other words, there might be a law that some government comes up with that says these things are okay with us. But he says, that's really not the issue. The issue is, I will not be brought under the power of any of these things. I refuse to be mastered by sin. And in refusing to be mastered by sin, if you commit sin, you end up a slave to sin. That's what Jesus said. And he uses the same word that we would use for someone who's a bond slave of Christ. You can't have two masters. You're either going to have a master and that master is a sinful behavior or your master is going to be Jesus. You can't have two masters. And so he's saying, look, if you really want to walk in victory, you need to care about sin and sinning. You need to be really lousy at sinning now. Not proficient at sinning. Someone without Jesus is a slave to their fallen nature. Anybody have that experience before you came to Christ? You could honestly say, the devil not only made me do it, I couldn't help myself. Those things are functionally true without Christ. Because you do not have the power of Christ in you to resist those things. And so you're stuck with your own personal strength. And guess who runs out of strength first? You are the sin. You. And so the Bible says, I need to care about my life and my living. The more I assert myself against God's rules, against his commands, against who he is in holiness, the more I assert my authority, I am telling him I don't want his authority. So when I walk in things persistently that are, not, that are contrary to God's revealed will, when he says, look, you're not supposed to be an idolater, you're not supposed to be a drunkard, you're not supposed to be a homosexual, you're not supposed to be a murderer, you're not supposed to be a thief. The reason those lists are there in 1 Corinthians, we're going to find another one here in the book of Galatians, and the book of Romans, the reason those things, they're there to help us along our way going, look, this is what someone who doesn't know the Lord looks like. This is what they do. They're liars. They're thieves. They're murderers. They are people who do not care about innocent people. They're the ones who are unjust. We're supposed to go, oh, wow, I'm walking like someone who doesn't know the Lord. But the church has gotten so dependent on grace that we just look at the holiness of God and say, well, in the end, he'll just cover it all up. Don't be so sure. Do not ever get sure in your sin. Please. Please, in Jesus' name. If Jesus has given you freedom, if the Son sets you free, then you're going to be free from sinning. Not free to sin. Do you understand the difference? Free from sinning any longer. You're going to be set free because internally you now are guided by the Holy Spirit. You do have the power because the power of Christ dwells in you. This truth is so essential. This is why Christians get caught up in things that ultimately destroy their lives. Not only do they not fear the Lord, but they actually believe that somehow God has sanitized their sin through his grace. 
It's like, well, you know, my fornication's better than the unbeliever's fornication because I'm a child of God. No, your fornication is the same as their fornication. It's sin. And it's actually worse that a child of God takes the grace of God and then walks in sin. I'm making everybody mad right now. It's okay. I don't care. It's what the Bible says. So God's given us a prescription. It's not a suggestion. This is the way we're supposed to live our life. Now, we can tell God we don't want that. And I'm going to tell you, my job is not to determine how much of your sinning is okay with God, because I can tell you none of it's okay with God. And I'm not to judge whether you're going to heaven or not. That's God's job alone. But I can tell you this, when you persist in the things that God has told you not to do, you should be questioning whether you're a child of God or not. You should look at your own life and say, you know, is this indicative of a child of God or is this indicative of someone who doesn't know the Lord? That's why we should care about sin. The Holy Spirit's in you. The Holy Spirit, anybody had that moment when you're doing something, you know it's not okay with God, and the Holy Spirit's going, hello, over here, wrong direction, don't do it, the bus is coming, get out of the street. Even a little vision of you laying in the street with the crosses through your eyes. It's going to kill you. Well, it won't kill me. After all, I mean, he got away with it. Never done that? You see somebody that you know that gets away with some sin that you're attracted to, and all of a sudden you're like, well, it's okay for them, must be okay. Don't be so sure. Now we have freedom to not sin. It is liberation. Let me be really clear. I am now free, the sun set me free, and I'm free indeed. But I'm free to no longer be guided by my sinful desires. I am free to resist the devil and watch him flee. I am free to listen to the Lord and walk away from those things which used to bind me. And so are you. True Christian freedom will not ever lead you back into bondage. So any area of your life that you've previously been in bondage to, I can pretty much guarantee you the Lord is not calling you back to that same spot so you can be tested again. He's telling you, you've already been freed from that. Don't go back to it. Don't be, as Paul said, a dog returning to its own vomit. The very thing that made you sick in the first place is still in the vomit, okay? It's a graphic description, but it's really true. There's a reason you threw that up. It's not supposed to be in you. We're supposed to recognize that. You know, when when Scripture speaks to us uh, of these issues, whether it's the the role of legalism or it's it's the role uh, of the libertine, they're, they're kind of like parallel streams. They flow in the same space. They flow through our lives. Make no mistake, just as wrong as the legalist is, so the libertine is. They're just wrong for a different reason. 
The libertine person believes that God sets you free so you can just do your own thing. No, we've been set free to do his thing, amen? And do it well. You see, I'm not supposed to live according to my own personal lust, my own personal desires. I'm supposed to be living for him. You see, legalism caused me to live just simply for rules and rule keeping. Everybody else would look at my life, well, you know, Jeff's holy. I mean, after all, just follow him around. He actually does Gregorian chants in the hallway. (laughs) You know, you kind of like the whole holy thing. I can make it look like I'm holy on the outside and be rotten on the inside, amen? It's kind of like a jelly-filled donut. You can't tell that there's nine and a half thousand calories on the inside. You see, we have to be careful, family, because what will happen is we get to that place to where, well, I'm going to just live, kind of live my life as an antinomian, someone who knows God's word says some stuff, but it really doesn't apply to me because I'm a child of grace. I become then a lawless libertine. I run around just telling people, ah, do whatever you feel like. You know, God's grace is good. Be careful, because I think in, in the long run, that's a person who doesn't actually know the Lord. That, that's someone who the Spirit of God does not dwell inside of them that runs around going, I can just do whatever I want. Because no place does the Bible give you permission to live your own life. I have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live specifically for him. That's the way my life is supposed to look to people on the outside. They're supposed to look at me and go, man, the dude lives for Jesus. There's something different about the way he lives his life. I I knew him before he gave his life to Jesus, or I knew her before she gave her life to Jesus, and there is a marked difference, and that difference is righteous living. Something is tangible. You see, I have to satisfy myself in Christ. I cannot satisfy myself by satisfying myself. That's what someone who doesn't know the Lord does. The stream of legalism, oh, it's clear, it's sparkling, it's beautiful. But it runs so deep and so fast and is so uncrossable that anybody that jumps into that stream drowns. But the stream of the libertine is so filled with pollutants that if you go in it, you're going to die from the poison. And the only thing that bridges across those two streams is God's grace. His bridge of mercy, wherein he does not judge us according to what we deserve. But he gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us unmerited favor. Christ did everything for us. And so in that sense, it really boils down to our motivation. In the freedom of grace, we actually ought to oppose our flesh. This is the first of four things that I want to close with. You see, it's not going to lead me back towards self-indulgence. In grace, it's going to lead me away from the things that bind me and towards the things that keep me free and set me free. So I'll walk in that freedom. 
When I look at sin in my own life, I'm supposed to have the same exact conclusion that God has about it. It stinks. I'm supposed to agree with God. I should be looking at my own life and go, you know what, that anger? That's not of the Lord. That bitterness didn't come from Jesus. That hatred is not from the Lord of hosts who died for all men to set them free. That greed, that avarice, that lust, that drug addiction, none of those things have come from the Lord. And so what happens is my priorities have so shifted that I start to oppose the things that God opposes in my life. God is opposed to you living in sin. And so you start to agree with God and all of a sudden you're going, you know what, I'm not supposed to be bitter like that. I'm not supposed to hate that person like that. I'm not supposed to walk in unbridled anger. I'm supposed to walk in love. I agree with God and I resist the temptation to be like I used to be because I now have the power to do it. The Holy Spirit in me enables me to resist things that previously I could not resist. I have a new nature, amen? The old things are passing away, actively being beat up by the grace of God in my life. And I love that about my own life, my own walk with the Lord. Sometimes you go, Lord, that could only be you. You've actually changed my heart. I actually care about things the way you care about them. That's a function of the Holy Spirit in you. The person without Christ is just stuck with their own self-will. Now, that's why we use the term addiction. Self-will can conquer nothing ultimately. You might be really good at it, but at the end of the day, would you rather have the power that flung stars into space and galaxies or the power that you yourself possess? I'm taking stars and galaxies, thank you very much. Amen? There's a little difference in, in, in the power of those two things. My arm of my flesh is capable of doing some stuff, but not very well and not for very long. That's why Peter admonishes us to act as free people, free men, free women. When I go back to the party lifestyle, when I go back to that relationship, I am saying, please put me in bondage again. When I go back to my old ways in business, I'm saying I'd like to be a slave again to the way I used to be. Please lock me up. Put me back into the same exact things that I used to struggle with. And when you advocate for a life of sin as a believer, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I, I'd, like to be, I'd like to be in bondage. Thank you very much. And sin is a cruel master. Amen? Sin's a cruel master because it never tells you. The devil's not going to call you up in the morning and go, this is going to destroy your life. He's going to call you up in the morning. He's going to go, if you just get rid of your husband, all your troubles will be gone. The problem is you're part of the problem. So you can get rid of your husband and the one after that or your wife and the one after that and the one after that and you're still stuck with you. Amen? And I'm not picking on anybody here. 
I'm telling you, I have lived a very long time in ministry to watch this play out over and over and over and over again. People will tell me, well, it was the only way out. And I will tell you, sin is never the only way out. That is the devil's way out. He's trying to convince you it's going to be okay, and it's not going to be okay. It's going to get infinitely worse. It's just going to be differently worse than it was before. That's it. You're just going to have the same master. It's going to be your flesh and the enemy. And he's now going to take you down some new road, which for a while will seem wonderful. That's why sin is pleasurable for a season. You walk in it for a few minutes. Oh, man, I'm set free from the battle axe. Man, I'll never have to listen to her give me directions again while I'm driving. And then you actually find out you're really a lousy driver and everybody gives you directions while you're driving. That's a true story, by the way. Be careful. Because at the end of all that stuff, you're still going to have you. A few more of these characteristics to close. Freedom from grace is not selfish. It's always other-centered. Notice what it says there in verse 13. We ought to love and serve others. When you start getting selfish, when it's all about you, which, I mean, let's face it, our nation, our state specifically, is all about individual freedoms and, and rights. Amen? We hear it touted every day in the news cycle. It's like, this is my thing. Nobody can tell me what I'm going to do. Well, I'm sorry, God is going to tell you what you can do. So when you become a believer, you've actually submitted yourself to letting God tell you what to do. And the old things are passing away, so God's going to go, you know, you really shouldn't do that. It's going to kill you. Now, you can disagree with God. You can say, well, I don't like that. You can put your feet down and you can stomp and you can shake your fist at God and stay out of my face. But because God loves you, he chastens those whom he loves. And so he lets you go a little while and all of a sudden you get the consequences of doing your own thing. And it's really unpleasant. And so God goes, hello, just thought I'd let you know that was me. And you go, well, I still don't like you. I love you, I want to be saved by grace, but could you stay out of my business? And God's going, no, I can't stay out of your business. You're supposed to be doing things because of me and for me and for other people first, and this whole selfish thing that you're doing isn't going to work. The freedom of sinless living comes with a life that is focused on other people. That's how it happens. You're not going to harm somebody else. You're not going to break their marriage to save your own. You're not going to destroy your own body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so that you can be easier to live with. A third thing, that freedom and grace is not going to forsake God's moral standards, his moral laws. Notice what it says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And he's simply making this an example. He's saying, look, if you want to see this, 
Here it is. It's really simple. My grace will never cause you to hate your neighbor. He could have said, my grace will also never cause you to be an adulterer or an adulteress. My grace will never cause you to be a drunk. My grace will never cause you to be a liar or a cheat or a thief. My my grace won't take you down a road that is not from me. My grace will always line up with what I've already said is my character. Always. So when what you're doing does not match up with God's character, you need to question what you're doing. Not question whether it's legal or not. Whether somebody made a law so now I can go ahead and smoke and toke all I want. I had a young man last week who was telling me, oh, just, you know, it's the only way I can deal with life. I said, no, it's not. It's not the only way you can deal with life. Are you telling me that the Holy Spirit in you is not sufficient? Well, not for me. I said, well, then you disagree with the Bible. I'm sorry. If you need some kind of antidepressant, go see a doctor. Let them give you a prescription. They're not going to tell you to go down to your local dispensary and go get stoned every day. That's not going to be the prescription you get. You see, we have to fall in line with what God says is his standard, not try and make our own standard. God never changes how he is holy and he wants us to be holy as he is holy. The purpose that we have Christian freedom in the first place is to do exactly what the Hebrews understood perfectly. I am surrendering my freedom because the king has taken care of the price of my sin. I'm saying, Lord, my life is yours. Let me do whatever you want. And a fourth and final thing, that freedom and grace will always cause me to look at other people first and avoid harming them. Always. It says, beware, lest you bite and devour one another. Take care, lest you be consumed. The problem with the life of sin and you getting focused on yourself is you stop caring about other people. Christ died for everyone save himself. Amen? He didn't need to die for his own sin. He died for my sin and everyone else's sin. And so in like manner, we are supposed to die to ourselves and for him so that others can see him. You see, that's what happens. And if that's the case, I'm not going to do anything that might harm you. You're not going to get involved with someone else's spouse. Why? It's going to harm you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your children. I'm not going to go out and become a party animal. Why? Because you're going to stumble other people, people who maybe you say you have some certain liberty and you're good with it. But I can tell you there are millions of people in this country that are not okay with social drinking. So you can wander around and say to me all day long, well, you know, I have the liberty. Yes, you do. And you also have the liberty to not take that liberty. And I would encourage you to not take that liberty because we have a problem in this country. And people are dying by the millions every year. Second greatest cause of death in the United States is alcoholism. So you can sit around all day and say, well, I'm free. And I'm going to tell you, you're harming an awful lot of people. And the first people you might be harming are your kids. 
It's not legalism. God's standard's up here. Let's keep that standard. And after all, what are you giving up? I'm giving up a beverage that doesn't taste good, burns going down, and costs an awful lot of money. Drink water. You can still do all the same things with water that you can do with booze. I hate to tell you that. And I don't mean to pick on anyone. It's that simple. Look at it from God's perspective. Does it harm somebody else? If it does, then the best way for you to deal with it is say, I'm not going to harm anybody else. Even if I can do it, I'm not going to do it. As we think on these things, we are called to freedom, but it is the freedom to live a sinless life as much as is possible with us. It's freedom to walk in his ways. It's freedom to cross that bridge of grace and mercy. It's freedom to look at sin from God's perspective. It's freedom to walk down the road of grace, encouraging other people to follow us on the road of grace. But it will never be freedom to live a life of sin. And so be careful. When you ponder the things that God's doing in your own life, never use your freedom in Christ as an excuse for the flesh. Amen? Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. Prayer teams in the prayer room. Maybe you've got some area of life that you just want to pray with somebody on. It's got you, got you hooked. You're in bondage. Here's the good news. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And he can take it. And wants to. So release those things to the Lord. Prayer teams available. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for cleaning up the mess that was my life. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would never be tempted to turn back towards those things that formerly held us in bondage, those things which were breaking us, those things that were destroying us. And Lord, may we never be guilty of encouraging other people to do things that will harm them. Lord, we take a look at every liberty that we may have and say, is this the best thing for others? Would my Savior help me do this? God, they're simple things, but they're so true. Lord, we want to be well-pleasing to the one who saved us, and we want to stand for those things which you stand for and against those things which you were against. Lord, not to be contrary, but to make our lives living testimonies of who you are in this world. And so, God, help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.